Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. We're bringing 24 hours a day of uplifting conversation and faithful Catholic teaching to all of you. And I just want to let you know that we're a listener-supported apostolate. We count on good folks like you to keep us up and running, and you can help by going to www.veritascatholic.com. Today on Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Caggiano and I will chat about some events that have been in the news recently. We'll talk about the Hagia Sophia and Notre Dame, uh, some recent attacks on Catholics here in the States, two Supreme Court victories, and we'll get an update on how things are going here in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Hey all, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, the weekly show featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. I'm Steve Lee, I'm the head of Veritas Catholic Network, and it's my great pleasure to introduce Bishop Frank. Steve, I'm excited about today's program because we have lots of different topics, current affairs, we could call it, yes. that we could talk about, which is, which is great. Yeah, and uh, you know, it'd be just really excellent for all of us to get your pastoral, Episcopal uh, view on, on some mm-hmm. of these things. So let's just dive in. There is a lot going on out there. Um, mm-hmm. Over the past several months, you've spoken a lot about the COVID-19 pandemic and the need for all of us to be careful And Mm -hmm. I've repeated to many folks your words when you said that wearing a mask is not necessarily for your own safety. It's an act of Mm -hmm. Christian charity to help protect those you come in contact with. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the science and the data are all there showing that masks and distancing actually work. Um, So along those lines, though, we're getting ready for the fall. And I thought maybe you could start by giving an update on how things are going in the diocese with reopening churches and especially mm-hmm. interested in your plan for our schools. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, of course, the most timely issue we're dealing with because unfortunately, um, the pandemic continues to tighten its grip in most of the country, um, particularly in the South and in the West. And that is very unfortunate that in some states, most recently, the governors needed to issue closing orders for a second time right which is i think is just um while medically necessary is just a body blow to our hopes to get back to some level of normalcy anyway here in connecticut we are blessed so far that all the hard work hard work that was done to to get the pandemic a bit more under control still seems to be holding on So, having said that, our hope was that we would have been able to go into phase three, which would have allowed more occupancy indoors and even greater occupancy outdoors. But the governor put that on pause um, in the prudent judgment, I think, to try to stave off um, any relaxation that would be too quick that could invite the pandemic to start growing again in our midst. I mean, really, if you think about it, New York, New Jersey, parts of, and, and, and Connecticut form the larger metropolitan area. And we are really kind of an oasis against most of the rest of the country. So we have to be particularly prudent and vigilant now, even more than before. When natural human tendency is to relax your guard, we must be even more on our guard yes. to make sure that all this sacrifice, all of this personal suffering, 
all those who could not come to Mass, who feel it deeply spiritually, right? It's, it is a personal loss. It's a personal suffering. All the economic distress, that we don't have to go backwards. Yes. That would be awful. Anyway, so we remain where we are, and I think we're in a good place considering the circumstances because first with churches is that in the parishes that have combination of both outdoor and indoor celebrations that there is sufficient capacity to accommodate many parishioners right and some are still reluctant to come so there's very few instances of people who do not have a seat when they come so that is very good yes now for schools okay for schools the real issue here is how do we maintain safety for children and teachers. Because we can't forget the teachers in this. They're right. at the front lines. Mm -hmm. And many of them may be older, some with pre-existing conditions, so they need to be protected as well. So, the state has issued some guidelines, and the happy news there is that the state does envision, at minimal, for state schools, public schools, a hybrid structure that would allow both in-person instruction and online instruction. Now, why is that important? Because if you set the premise that in-classroom instruction is feasible and can be done safely and effectively, then the only thing that prevents you from doing that five days a week is the amount of students you have and the personnel you have. Right. Now, the public schools have large numbers of students. For Catholic schools, our schools in particular, our liability up to this point has become our greatest strength. Our liability is we don't have large numbers of students coming to our schools and therefore they're under financial duress. Right. But at the same time, because our numbers are not large, we are envisioning in the Diocese of Bridgeport that we will open all of our schools with five full days of instruction. Great. Which is, I think, a service to young people who in isolation in times of lockdown and quarantine are, are beginning to feel the psychological and spiritual effects of being alone. Yes. And I think it's a service to our parents who are struggling to keep some semblance of normalcy and work. Because if a parent is going to have to go to work and pay for daycare in the days when a child's not in school, I mean, I'm not sure what you're going to work for because all your money is going to be really spent just trying to care for your children. And, and in, in effect, you, you, the family will be under severe financial distress. So as a, an aid to families, society, and our children, this is what we're envisioning. And all of our protocols are on the website. They were, they were issued about a week and a half ago. So I invite all our parents to become acquainted with them. And parents, for example, who quite frankly are looking at their private schools or public schools and saying, well, I'm not really sure I want to do this. Well, you, you are most welcome to come to our schools. It is a financial cost. It is. But we have excellent education in the safe environment, in the Catholic faith. You, I don't think you can get better than that. Yeah. So that's where we're going. Yeah. And as you mentioned, I mean, <clears throat> it's really important um, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally that we, that as long as we can, we continue moving forward with this reopening. I mean feels like it would be fairly devastating on many levels for us to have to close up again. So, Well, I would say this. I think it's, it is 
there is harm done, there will be harm done on every, in, on every level, in every aspect of life, if schools cannot reopen. Yeah. As you say, first and foremost, for the students, it is going to have a huge psychological and social toll. And quite frankly, I am not completely convinced that even academically, there isn't a huge toll. Yeah. Because online learning puts the parent in the teacher's role to monitor their children. And it is very hard to do that when you have everything else to do. Yeah. Okay, so that's number one. For the teachers, it is a burden because it is very hard to teach online and engage students. So people may think, well, it's easier because you're not traveling, you're not because, but in many ways, my experience with teachers that I've spoken with, it's, it is an additional burden for them. And, that, and of course, for our Catholic schools, if we cannot reopen in some way, whether it's in a hybrid structure or five days a week, which is where we're, we're planning to open, it will have catastrophic consequences for enrollment. Yeah. And many of our schools may not survive in the long term if we were delegated solely for online learning. Right. So there is much writing on this. And so therefore, what's my plea? My plea is for people to act intelligently, maturely, competently, particularly people of faith, to put your neighbor first over your own desires or likes or wants or, or whatever you happen to be planning. And particularly for young people who may be listening, there may be few, there may be many, but you don't, you're not invincible. Stop acting as if this doesn't apply to you because it does apply to you. And if you want the proof, look in Florida where the average age of people being infected is 21 years old. Yeah. Now, let me just say this too. I'm not a doctor, okay? Your father's a doctor. Oh, so many doctors listening, far more competent than I am. Mm -hmm. I'm just a layman's layman when it comes to medicine. But this much I do know. I had rheumatic fever when I was a boy at 10 years old. And the enduring lesson that my physician, old style doctor with the black bag who came to the house and made the house calls every week to check on me all during the summer. He said to me, this is viral and you will keep the virus in you for your whole life. It will become dormant, but don't think it will completely disappear. So the truth of the matter is, even for a young person who thinks he or she is invincible, if you contract this virus, do you actually believe that you'll be able to expel it completely from your system or carry it for the rest of your life? And if you do carry it for the rest of your life, why in the name of goodness would you want to do that? Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. I'll stand corrected for any doctor who's listening, but just on that level alone, they need to exercise more prudence than some of them are doing in different yes. parts of the country. Yep, that's right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want to take a step back away from our local diocese and, and kind of take a walk around the world a little bit. Um, Where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> two big things have happened with famous churches in the past few weeks. And mm -hmm. I'd like to start by talking about the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. Yes. And it's being turned yes. into a mosque. Yes. Yes. I, I think that is extraordinarily unfortunate on so many different levels. The Holy Father issued a statement. It was almost impromptu about how deeply pained he was to see that. Right. And I think there is not a Christian denomination that has not protested in some way, shape, or form. From what I understand of the history of the Hagia Sophia. It was a Christian uh, basilica for centuries. 
Yeah. And it was turned into a mosque uh, under duress in conquest. And when modern Turkey was created, it was created as a museum in part to, to demonstrate the tolerance of what is predominantly a Muslim country to all faiths. And it has been that way for a very long time. I believe the Hagia Sophia is a world heritage site. Yes, right? that's right. Now, it's recent, this recent decision by the government to turn it back into a mosque, I think is sending a terrible signal on many levels. Uh, a form of religious intolerance, um, a step away from the secularization that in its better form allows for religions to sit side by side and worship side by side. Yes. And hopefully create some sense of community and dialogue. But this, this is reminiscent of choosing one over others. And I'm not sure what good will be achieved when I am almost certain there isn't a huge shortage of mosques in Turkey, as there would be no shortage of churches, for example, in Fairfield County. Right. So I think there's a political motivation here, and that it, I am deathly afraid that it's going to lead to consequences that even the president of Turkey may not have totally vetted in his own mind. Yeah. It is very, very unfortunate. Yeah. And I'm looking at it in light of... Um other things that, that the Turkish government, that Erdogan's government has done recently. You know, they've mm -hmm. continued to deny the Armenian genocide. They've destroyed over 500 churches. Um, oh, I really did not know that about yeah. the destruction of churches. Yeah, and, you know, when, um, when President Ataturk turned it into a museum, at least he, he saved and, and restored the beautiful art Yes. That was in there. Yes, um, right, which now will be covered. Let, let's hope it's covered and not destroyed. Yeah, absolutely so. Right, exactly. Right. We see because the other thing too is, <clears throat> from a Christian point of view. Now, some of our listeners may find this a bit of a stretch, but I, in my own thinking, do not find it a stretch at all. Mm -hmm. Is that if you consider the three transcendentals of truth, beauty, and goodness? as the ways by which we can encounter God, even the Hagia Sophia for a Christian to enter into the space, even though it is not an active worship space, the fact that its beautiful mosaics and icons are, are visible still allows it to be a moment of encounter with God. And those who are depicted, of course, are the Lord, Our Lady, and the Christian saints. So it still has a larger purpose and service of Christian faith even as a museum, precisely because the beauty of its iconography is available to anyone of goodwill. For those of faith, it's a way to encounter God. Not sacramental, but it's a way to encounter God. But that will be lost too. Yeah. Now. Right. We, we had, um, this September will mark 20 years that I've been married. And for our... Ah, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. But for our honeymoon, we did a, a tour of some of the Greek islands and we went to Istanbul. And my wife and I mm -hmm. went into the Hagia Sophia and it was just incredible. Oh, it's enormous. Yeah. In its day, it was the largest church in existence. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and as you said, Excellency, the, the Holy Father has said that he's deeply saddened by this. The Orthodox uh, Patriarch of um, Constantinople, 
said, mm-hmm. you know, he, he spoke uh, about his sadness about this happening. Um, but there's not a, a greater outcry over what might happen to this historic site, you know, the World Heritage Site. Um, I can't help but feel like, you don't have to comment on this, but I just can't personally can't help but feel like if, if, uh, if there was a, a major mosque here in the States that was converted to a, taken over and converted to a church, there would be a greater outcry. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But may I just say this? I think there is a, a, a more basic lesson. And this is perhaps controversial, but let's be frank. <laughs> Both, uh, there are very few places left where the political establishment does not use religion as a weapon in its toolbox to foster political gain. Okay. It is also true in the United States. And it is unfortunate that that is happening because God transcends the wiles of men and women. He is servant to none, master of all. Yeah. And it seems to me that in Turkey, for whatever reason, religion is being militarized in part by the all the things you just described. And there are elements in the United States and in other countries that want to take other religions and militarize them. And that is not what the Lord desires. Right. That's clear. Anyone who reads the gospel can understand that, I hope. So... So in a sense, our hands are tied and many Western countries' hands are tied precisely because um, they are guilty. And quite frankly, this becomes even more provocative when you consider that secularism is, has all the characteristics of a religion. Yeah, right. It's true. Okay? It has a of belief, a set of practice, and it is atheistic. But mm-hmm. atheism is a form of religion. So mm-hmm. even secularist societies are making a choice. Yes. And therefore, their hands are bound when they see this event because in other realms and in other ways, they may be doing that to affect the same political gain in a different context. Yeah. So it's only people of genuine faith that need to raise their voices where may have limited effect to try to change the outcome, but in conscience to say so. Yeah. Right. So that we've spoken the truth. Right. Yes. And this. Yeah. And, you know, um, as we as we look back here in the States, just a couple Saturdays ago on the Feast of St. Benedict, we had um, a couple churches attacked on the same day um, yes. in one. Uh, a man in Florida crashed his minivan into a Catholic church and then poured gasoline yes. in the foyer and set it on mm-hmm. fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the other. We had firefighters in Los Angeles who were called to the Mission San Gabriel Archangel, uh, a mission church founded by Father Junipero Serra. So, um, I have two reactions. Yes. First reaction is uh, we, should, we should never make the mistake of only considering what is real, that which we can see. That there is a spiritual dimension in life that's very much alive. Mm-hmm. And that spiritual world is both that which reflects God's life and also that which is demonic. Mm-hmm. And some of what's going on is a manifestation of the demonic, which is real and in our midst. Now, the church has the power to bind the evil one. And in some way, shape, or form, 
if there's someone who is listening to my podcast who's becoming a bit uncomfortable with what I'm saying, then I think it's time for that person to really reflect. Yeah. When we say that the, we hold in faith that the devil is real and that he is present in our midst and there are demonic spirits, because it would seem to me that some of this is being driven precisely in, a, in the spiritual forum. But the second piece to this is, we should not be discouraged. We should actually take confidence because historically, the church has always been at its best and most vibrant when it is persecuted. Hmm. And when you see these blatant acts of, of literally persecution, you can understand them in one of two ways. Either it's the arrogance of evil that shows his hand very clearly, but there is also could be an act of desperation on the part of evil because, believe it or not, we are getting close to responding effectively and wants to discourage us from keep moving forward. And the other thing I want to remind our listeners is in the history of the church, it is very rare when in the midst of the battle, you can see the clear sign of victory. It's only the generations to come who look back and say, those were the victorious heroes who fought the battle to the end. I have run the race. I've completed the task. And they will look back and say, they held firm and we stand on their shoulders. So those attacks should concern us, but they should not dissuade us from what we need to do. If we are persecuted, so be it. Yeah. Because then we either stand up with Christ or do something else. Right. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Amen, brother. Amen. Yeah. Always quote the scripture, you are on sound ground. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> for, for us, um, well, first, with the, you know, one thing that, jumps out that you said was there is a visible and an invisible as we say in the creed um mm -hmm. and yeah that's something that um i think we need to always keep in mind for us as as christians and as catholics the response mm -hmm. to this persecution is not just um perseverance but it's prayer and especially love right action of love absolutely Absolutely. In the end, the appropriate response, in my opinion, would be um, vigilance, mm -hmm. conversion, and forgiveness. So the perpetrators need to be invited to conversion and be offered the gift of forgiveness. If they choose to take it, fine. If they don't, they don't. I mean, in the end, if the Lord appeared right now at the end of my sentence in all his glory, which would be great. <laughs> Seriously. To get to heaven, what else do you need? Honestly, yeah. what else? All of this effort we spend on money and houses and clothes, oh, who cares in the end? You can't take it to heaven for the love of goodness. So if the Lord appeared right now, we do realize that every church and monument, every fresco and icon, it's not coming with us. Right. They're only means to an end. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying they have no value. Of course, they have tremendous value and we need to protect them. But we shouldn't become destroyed if some lunatic destroys them or harms them because that shouldn't be an impediment to my getting to heaven. Yeah. 
And if it is because of the tremendous anger or resentment I feel, then the spiritual homework that a person needs to do. Right? Amen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, with that, Excellency, there's so much more to talk about, which we will. First, we're mm -hmm. going to take a break, and then uh, we'll also hit some good news when we, when we come back. Amen. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank. Uh, this is the show that features Bishop Frank Caggiano of the Diocese of Bridgeport. We're taking a look at some of the things that have happened uh, around the world over the past couple weeks. And we're going to take our attentions, Excellency, over to France. You know, we just hit on some, some heavy news uh, with churches in, in Turkey and in the States. But we have some good news. And earlier this month, French President uh, Macron announced that Notre Dame Cathedral... Uh, the spire will be rebuilt to look like it did before the fire. Mm -hmm. This is good news because Macron had previously said that he wanted something contemporary, and so, some of the designs that were proposed included a rooftop. Well, hideous. So, yeah, I mean, just so hideous. Uh, obviously, you are you are also happy with these with this news. Absolutely, absolutely. Of course, from what I read, it was done basically for expediency's sake. That it. Because the Olympics is coming to Paris, they want the reconstruction of Notre Dame completed as quickly as possible. And therefore, for expediency's sake, it's much easier to replicate what was than to try to retrofit something new. But if, of course, God uses all means. To <laughs> yeah, his we'll glory. take it. <laughs> we'll take it. Because the truth is, um, for many, many reasons, it is preeminently sensible to restore the spiral as it was. For example, in an, a society that is so ahistorical, which is what the West has become, yes. to keep a link to historic tradition, even apart from religious faith, is extremely important. For a, a people that forgets its history is doomed to repeat, repeat the mistakes of its history. Right? So that's number one. From a faith point of view, we spoke about beauty. It makes perfect sense that there is an integral relationship, a cohesion of that, of that cathedral where the spire represents in many ways, summarizes in many ways, its very architecture. To replace it with something that's dissident, mm -hmm. All right, I think detracts from its beauty, and for all the reasons beauty can serve faith, I would be opposed to that. Yeah. But also, architecture itself is not what you force into it. It has a logic of its own. Right. And you need to respect that logic, right? So that what you create is harmonious with the inhabitants that are going to be in with entering into it. So if you have a modern structure, it has a logic to it. You may not like it, but it has a logic to it. Right. And a Gothic structure has its own logic to it. So for many reasons, it makes perfect sense. He chose the expediency, which is fine. As long as we come out to the same conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. works. <laughs> yeah. 
exactly. For me, maybe I'm just uh, um, old and cranky, but um, you know, well, you're I like old. <laughs> well, maybe I'm just cranky. I don't know about the cranky part. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love when when you enter a church building and it feels like there's a, a specific format. To me, that feels like it works. You know, you got the narthex, the nave, the sanctuary. You got the two transepts that help the building. Right, it's the, the cruciform structure of church. Yes, and um, but as you mentioned, there's all different shapes and 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 forms of of churches in the Catholic Church. Um, but regardless of what it is, in the best cases, the shape and the design of the church, the scents and the sights and the sounds of the mass, they should all work together, right, Excellency, to bring Correct. us closer to God and and fully Correct. worship Him. Correct. Correct. Right. And exactly so. You know, it, it, you look. You know, you ask yourself, what is beauty? And beauty is proper proportion mm-hmm. in the end. And there's also beauties in the eyes of the beholder. But the truth is, beauty does have a grammar. Right? Yes. It resonates with mind and heart. And it also has a logic, what we call proportion, that allows it to be coherent. So... Um, when it particularly comes to architecture, to your point, not a single form of church architecture is um, the only way to experience beauty in worship. But whatever form is chosen, it needs to be coherent. So that is unfortunately the great loss that occurred when many of our parish churches were renovated after the Vatican Council. Yes and renovated in a way which made them dissonant with their larger structure. So you walk in and, like you said, a, a building properly constructed constructed has a focal point, mm-hmm. whatever that focal point is going to be. And if, if you take a building and impose on it elements that do not fit with its original construction, then you easily compromise the focal point. So, for example, in our typical parish church, oh, this is certainly controversial, but, it, but I believe it. Not only will I believe it, I'm eventually going to implement it when the occasion occurs, which will come soon. Okay. But in most of our churches, the reservation of the Blessed Sacrament is not the centerpiece of the church. Right. When in the traditional structures of the churches prior to the Vatican Council, it was clearly the centerpiece in the high altar. And there has been an interpretation of the Vatican Council, right, in the documents, that the, the, the Eucharist should be in a separate chapel for adoration. Now, in fact, in the great basilicas, such as St. Peter's, that's exactly where it always was. Okay. But the typical parish church doesn't have a separate chapel. Right. So to have made the decision to have taken the Eucharist, the tabernacle, and put it off on a side altar, in my mind, is dissonant to the structure of the church. Yes. Okay. Because it's all about the celebration of the Eucharist, which the focal point is the altar. And inherent in that altar, and inherent in that celebration, is the enduring presence of Christ in the Eucharist, not the transitory presence. So having the tabernacle in that space 
makes preeminent sense. So we have to revisit that, particularly in the diocese. I'm happy to report many of our pastors have already asked permission to move the Eucharist, the, the tabernacle, back it to the center focal point. And the time will come when everyone else will have to do the same thing. Because in my mind, to this point about beauty and the coherence, it does not make sense to me to do that which logically the very structure should focus you on. Altar and tabernacle are an integral unity in my mind. Does that yeah. make sense? Oh, it makes total sense. You just warmed my heart. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. um, no, that sounds, that's just fantastic. Um, let's... Uh, Let's, let's keep moving. Uh, some more good news, Excellency. Um, mm -hmm. Two Supreme Court victories this month. And, oh, we're uh, in Washington. We're crossing yes. the ocean. Whoa. Yes, crisscrossing What back a place. What a city. Lord have <laughs> <Yeah>. mercy. <laughs> um, I'll, just, I'll just quickly recap what those two course, uh, court cases were. And then, you know, maybe um, I'm not asking you so much for your political analysis, but I would love to hear mm -hmm. your thoughts as mm -hmm. a bishop of the church and a, and a shepherd of souls. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in one, we had um, Our Lady of Guadalupe School versus Morrissey Beru, where the Supreme Court ruled that religious schools can hire and fire teachers because they fall under what they said is a ministerial exception. And then we also had the Little Sisters of the Poor who've been fighting mm -hmm. for a decade almost uh, versus Pennsylvania here in this case. And that said that the government cannot compel religious organizations to subsidize birth control and abortion-inducing drugs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so first let me just say something. Washington, D.C., a unique place. Great people, hardworking civil servants, without whom we would not have a functioning government. Mm -hmm. Our political leadership in every stripe and party really need to have some soul searching as to whether or not um, we can continue to live in an environment where dialogue and discourse is not even possible. And that's why I said what I said about what a city. A city by definition is a community of individuals who live in common life. So our political, our politicians, no matter who they are, what party? It's irrelevant, okay? Um, need to be women, men and women who can respectfully dialogue in their differences and hold on to the, I mean, hold on to your positions. Right. I'm not suggesting a great mediocrity, but because in this issue, there has to be rational discourse. Why do I say that? Okay, let us, I think, again, I'm not a politician and I am not a lawyer, so I'm giving it from a layman's point of view. When government establishes religion, it gives it priority and preference in law and in any other way the law allows. So when the country was founded, it rebelled against an established religion, which would have been the Church of England, right? In the English colonies. Yes. All right. So... My understanding of the Founding Fathers is that there would be an agnosticism, if I could use that term, of government towards religion. That is, the Constitution forbids the establishment of religion, any religion, as the state religion. Right. 
But what it does not necessarily include is an hostility towards any or all organized religions. Right. They are not the same thing. So an agnosticism is a hands-off. Now, the fundamental problem here is that when you look to all politicians, they often understand the exercise of religion as that which occurs within the four walls of whatever sacred building you go into to worship, whether you are Christian, Jew, Muslim, or anyone else for that matter. Right. That is the free exercise of religion. We who are believers, particularly Christians, Catholic Christians, our free exercise of religion is not confined to four walls. That's the free exercise of worship, not the free exercise of religion. Because we also need to have the ability to exercise that which we believe in the public square, provided we do no direct harm to anyone else. So, when you look at the, the question of exercise of religion, when the political winds confine it to inside sacred space, and when you look at the original notion of an agnosticism or a hands-off to all religions, to have evolved into some sense of a hostility towards organized religion, Mm-hmm. That is why these two, two Supreme Court victories are extremely important. Right. Because the first deals with our schools. So it's not worship. It's an exercise of faith. And what we are saying is that if you teach in a Catholic school, whether you are Catholic or not, you are a minister of the gospel. And as a minister of the gospel, you cannot advocate in word or in your witness anything contrary to the faith because you are educating and forming children in the Catholic faith. That is why Catholic schools exist. Mm -hmm. And there has been an element in society that is hostile to that because it wants to impose the secular norms onto that. But those secular norms cannot be held completely consonant with faith because there are lifestyles condoned in secular society that cannot be condoned in faith. So the Supreme Court said that is a legitimate exercise of religion to have a ministerial exemption for teachers in Catholic schools. So they are, I think, it is a seminal decision in so much it is recognizing that the free exercise of religion is not just simply in the four walls of your sacred building. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. important. Now, we as a church have to make sure that those who are given ministerial exception uh live as ministers of the gospel (laughs) yeah you can't have the exception and then not challenge and support people to do what they asked to be done same thing for the little sisters of the poor and that is they are the resources of the church and its employees to be used to support that which is contrary to the faith. Again, if you take a, if you have a more hostile approach to organized religion, then you say, well, you must do this because the prevalent norm in society allows for X, Y, and Z. And what the Supreme Court is saying is in the case, case of contraception, no, that is not. That would be a violation of the exercise of religion for them to actually sponsor this. So I think, I'm hoping that these rulings in the Supreme Court will bring us back to much more of a balance 
where government is not to support organized religion, but doesn't stand in hostility or suspicion of organized religion, because it should not do that. Right. Because there's an essential role for the common good that religion plays, and I believe essentially Christian faith plays. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the pendulum maybe is being carved out into the middle. Now I said before, in passing I'll say it again, the secular agenda is itself somewhat of, rel of a religious manifestation. It is based on beliefs, it's based on a, 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 an anthropology, and it's based on a stance towards God that in some way has all the elements of what a religion would look like. Yes. So this is not a question of religion and no religion. It's almost, one could say, it's organized religion and unorganized religion. <laughs> And therefore, I would argue that you need agnosticism on all ends right. if we're going to keep faithful to the Constitution. Yes. Yeah. And I would love to hear reaction from those who are listening, who are lawyers and, you know, who are political experts to see whether or not what I just described makes sense. But to me, it makes, it, 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 it's the larger context that makes these victories extremely important. It's setting the pendulum back where it belongs. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So um, before we uh, uh, finish up and go to questions, um, here's a way that we can uh, end this today's show on a really nice note. Um, I want to paint the picture of this really uplifting story, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, Bishop Frank. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago on July 8th on Interstate 81 in Pennsylvania, Traffic was stopped, complete stop. Rain was coming down. All the cars were lined up, backed up, at a, as I said, at a complete stop on the highway. One car comes barreling in at full speed, didn't see that the cars were stopped, and slammed oh, into the kidding. stream of cars. Oof. And ended up kind of piling up, smashing up. Six cars ended up in this accident, and the original driver was seriously injured. And then, into the rain, amidst the cars and the smoke and the chaos, steps a priest wearing a cassock, prayer books in hand. And I don't know if you've seen this, uh, this photo, Your Excellency, but it's actually a really beautiful photo. Uh, it looks like a painting with you know, streaks of color and um, a misty quality to it. And you don't see the priest's face, but there he is in his cassock between stopped cars. And... It turns out his name is Father John Kalaki. He's with the Order of the S FSSP. And he simply was there in the, in, in the traffic. He got out of his car and he went to work in the rain. He went car to car consoling, comforting people in their trucks, in their cars, offering help to those who were suffering. And he even, they say he administered uh, last rites to someone in the accident before they died. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So, it's an, it is kerygmatic. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Okay. In the new directory on catechesis for catechesis that was issued at the end of June, the fundamental insight in that directory is that all catechesis, all teaching of the faith, is a proclamation of the ancient kerygma about Christ's life, his death, his salvific re re resurrection, 
and his returning glory. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And why what this priest did is preeminently charismatic is because with, with his very witness, he did what the Lord did. He went to people. They didn't come to him. Yeah. He went to them and he offered them a message of salvation and hope in Jesus Christ. That in their hour of tremendous suffering, doubt, pain, I mean, being just literally facing death in the face, right? Because even if you're not hurt in that moment, you say, oh my God, I could have been killed. Mm -hmm. Who comes but Jesus? It's preeminently what the gospel's all about, right? Yes. So, so the lesson to be learned, so this, this priest was, was, was quintessentially a priest in that moment. So what's the lesson for us? How many charismatic moments do we have in our ordinary life? Where we go to people, whether they're in our home, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our parishes, and offer them the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ who comes as redeemer, suffering for our sins, who comes as salvation to give us hope and forgiveness of our sins and promises us glory. That's Christian faith. Everything else hangs on that. Yeah. So this pre and that photo is probably going to be a moment of reflection and conversion for lots of people. Why? Because it's charismatic. Yeah. Not any fancy document with all this other stuff that we love to create in the modern church. <laughs> it's charismatic. Yes. <laughs> yep. Which, if I may just, before I finish my little homilette here, let's go back to architecture. In a sense, one could say church architecture is designed to be charismatic. That without the use of words, but with image and sign and structure and color, one encounters the salvific message of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Now in a church, it's at that altar in his death and resurrection that it begins and ends, my friends. That's where it is, it's the heart of it. So it seems to me that th this priest was really at that moment he was doing what God had called him to do from when he was conceived. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, I. Um, uh, if you haven't seen the photo, um, I encourage uh, all of you, everybody listening to to go search it out. You can find it on the National Catholic Register or or many Catholic. You know what, Steve? Why don't you see if you can put it on the website, of Veritas? Yeah, you know what? That's a great idea. I'll do that. I'll do that. Um, mm -hmm. I'll link to the story. Yep. Okay, so uh, one more break, and then uh, when we come back, we'll have listener questions for Bishop Frank. We need Catholic Radio because we need the voice of the Church in the public forum. We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use. This means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, this week, uh, we got a question in from Pat from St. Peter Parish in Danbury. Uh, mm -hmm. The question was submitted through the Veritas app. So 
Oh. Yeah. So Pat says, I would like to hear Bishop Frank's thoughts on centering prayer and Lexio Divina. So mm-hmm. those are two separate things, obviously, Excellency. Let's, why don't you start first with centering prayer? Well, uh, I kind of see them as mutually um, uh, complementary in so much as, like we mentioned a, a, a few programs be, uh, ago, Centering prayer can help establish the context within which one can be disposed to pray. Lexio Divina is a form of prayer mm-hmm. that can give structure and substance to your prayer. So centering prayer um, is really the use of a mantra or other form to quiet your spirit, right? um, to eliminate the distractions around you. And for some of us, myself included, that is the lion's battle each time you sit to pray. Because we are very much a busy and distracted world. So centering prayer, even just a simple phrase, can be used over and over again in a meditative state to kind of center yourself. And of course, it's all about encountering the person of Jesus. So I think it's extremely important to the extent that a person can do that in the various forms of centering prayer that exist. You need to calm your spirit to receive. Right. Now, Lexio Divina is a, is a fruitful way of breaking open sacred scripture, right? To allow this, the, 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 the reading of scripture in a structured and meditative way to try to enter into that so that it can be what it is, a privileged way to encounter the real presence of Christ, Okay. It is different from scripture, but it is a real presence of Christ. Now, why is that important? Okay, it is important because in the secular world in which we live, many of our young people, and now some of our middle-aged people who once were young, have been exposed to scripture only in the historical critical method, only and in a way to try to try to force it into the presumptions of the modern world that truth is either scientific or historically or or historically verifiable in other correlating documentation. Okay. So they see it as a critical in the, in that critical mode rather than in what it is what it is designed to be it is the word of god offered as the means to encounter the life of god and the salvific truth that comes to us through the inspiration of the divine given to the to the authors of sacred scripture so you don't read the gospels to figure out where the q source is mm-hmm. in prayer okay you read the gospels to encounter jesus christ yes and so Lexio Divina is a powerful way in order to do that. But I would, I'm much more simple in my request. I think anyone can simply in their prayer on a regular basis pick up sacred scripture and not read it like you read the newspaper. Take a small section, read it, read it again, read it again, and just sit there and you will be shocked as how the words will come alive. Hmm. And they will be a, under the guidance and grace of the Holy Spirit, there will be things spoken to you, whispered to you into your heart 
understood without words that are beginning to hint to you that this is Christ walking with you. And so I think I would absolutely, absolutely um, su suggest to anyone Lexio Divina as part of their prayer and any other way you want to use the scripture because yeah. it is unfortunately um, underutilized in many Catholic communities. Remember St. Jerome, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. Yes. Would a good way to, to begin doing that daily scripture reflection, Excellency, be simply by looking at the readings, the mass readings for the day? Oh, without a doubt. Oh, without yeah. a doubt. Sure. And particularly, and and you can even start more simply, but just Sunday's reading. Read okay. the readings of Sunday on Monday and reflect on them whole week, the whole week. Because mm, okay. there's plenty to do for the six days before you get to Sunday mass. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, for everybody listening out there, Keep your questions coming. Bishop Frank can answer your questions on spirituality, family issues, apologetics, even about astronomy, or I'm sure you could tell people good places to eat in Brooklyn. No, oh, absolutely. Oh, that, oh, you want to do a show on that? <laughs> you can submit your questions on the app, on social media, or you can email them to questions at veritascatholic.com. And follow Bishop Frank Caggiano on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find Veritas Catholic Network there too. So thank you, Excellency, for your time and your guidance as always. Well, God bless you, Steve. Thank you for the time together. Thank you. Can you and uh, would you give us all your blessing? Certainly. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit upon us in these challenging and turbulent times that we may remain faithful to you with our hearts open to receive your grace and our wills at your disposal to do your work in the world. Bless and guide us, all who listened to our conversation and all those whom we love. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Steve, take care. See you next week. Thanks, Excellency. You too. Okay.